0: Hello again, Biathlon fans, and welcome to Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. Well, the season is reaching its midpoint with World Cup and IBO Cup circuits in full swing, the Youth Olympic Games wrapped up in Korea, and the World Championships coming up shortly. A special thanks to our Heartbeat sponsors Aaron's, the King of Snow, Maloya outfitting the U.S. biathlon team, and Paul Smith's College offering education and sport training in the heart of New York's Olympic region. Today on Heartbeat we have a special treat with the return of world championship medalist Susan Dunkley. Long one of the great stars of U.S. Biathlon, Susan retired after the 2022 season and has been enjoying time at home in Vermont while working at her longtime club program in Craftsbury. When retiring in 2022, Susan had a plan in place, heading home to Craftsbury to take on a director of running role. She loved it, but she also longed to get back into a winter program so she has recently evolved into becoming the first biathlon director for Craftsbury, working in one of the most highly regarded club ski programs across America. On the side, Susan has been expanding her role as a coach, joining the IBU Cup Tour for a couple of January races in northern Italy as a guest coach, and she's also been working closely with U.S. Biathlon Sport Development Director John Farah on Project X, helping more new biathletes in the sport. Susan was our very first guest in season one of Heartbeat. We also had Susan and Claire Egan join us together during their retirement in 2022. So it was fun to have her back again on the podcast. There's a lot to learn in this podcast with insights from a very highly respected athlete who is starting to make her impact as a coach. Now let's head to Craftsbury, Vermont for an insightful chat with Susan Dunkley. And welcome back to Heartbeat. Today, we have the honor of speaking with World Championship medalist Susan Dunkley. And Susan, thank you so much for joining us. You're in Craftsbury today, right? Oh, yeah. Well, we, we haven't caught up since uh, you and Claire uh, retired, uh, which is now a couple of seasons ago. Uh, we were proud to have you on Heartbeat as our very first guest back about four seasons ago. And uh, right now, I imagine at Craftsbury, you're in the throes of winter, right?
1: Oh yeah, we have uh, big race events happening almost every weekend. A lot of people coming through the door and all our local kids coming to practice after school every day. It's it's chaos, but it's a lot of fun.
0: It's a lot of fun for that that chaos. And are, do you have snow on the ground? Does it look like winter at Craftsbury?
1: You know, we're lucky. It's not a whole it's not deep snow, but we were able to pull off the marathon last weekend and it looks white out right now. It's actually snowing lightly as I speak right now, so we're doing all right.
0: Good. Well, we want to catch up with you, and I'm going to call it life in retirement, but you're anywhere's from retired. Uh, you have retired from international competition. But just to, before we dive into some of the biathlon stuff and the work that you're doing at Craftsbury and also with U.S. Biathlon, how has life been for you since you left the grueling, arduous tour and had a little bit more time to spend at home in Vermont?
1: I've really enjoyed not being an athlete full-time these last couple of years. I think I had pushed my body maybe a two or three years beyond what I really had full motivation to do really serious training for, and it's it's nice to be able to spend some time at home after so many years on the road and have a little more time for some of my friends back here, family back here. But yeah, it's, it's different.
0: <laughs> Did it take a little bit of time to kind of settle into a new normalcy?
1: In some ways, I had a job lined up right when I retired, and that was to be director of running at Craftsbury, and that's a pretty intensive job, especially in the summer season. So I didn't have a whole lot of downtime to process or anything. I just launched into that and it kept me busy. And in some ways I think it was really good to have something lined up because I look at some of the other athletes that I was retiring alongside. And I think a lot of a lot of athletes who've been doing this for this long feel lost when they step away. And they don't really know how to how to redirect all this intense focus that they're used to having towards their sport. But for me I had I had a purpose and in a job right away and that was super helpful.
0: Yeah. Well, a lot of that makes really a lot of sense. And, you know, I guess uh, if you were to give counsel to athletes uh, thinking about retiring at some point, uh, what's the first piece of advice you would give them?
1: I think it's totally okay to start preparing for that long before you expect to actually retire. Doing some courses, some research into what is out there. If you're trying to pull that all together in just a few months after you make a decision to retire, that's really tough, but you could kind of work towards it slowly over a few years. And there's no reason you you shouldn't be doing that and competing at the same time, to be honest.
0: With a schedule that wasn't punctuated with uh, constant flights overseas and traveling around Europe, have you been able to pursue your hobbies and your personal passions a little bit more than maybe you did in the past?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, One of my favorite things is gardening, and it's nice to just be here for a whole summer and watch everything grow and take care of it without leaving for a three-week training camp in the middle of July or something like that, you know?
0: So in central Vermont, what point are you able to get a garden in in the spring?
1: Uh, Usually Memorial Day is the last frost date. You can plant some stuff a little bit earlier than that.
0: It's pretty tough. I know for us in Utah, it's a little bit later than that. It kind of gets into June a little bit. But uh, well, it's, it's great to hear that you're enjoying it and you went about it with a plan. Let's talk about your role at Craftsbury. And as you mentioned, when you did retire from the team and, and went into uh, a different form or a different phase of your life, you did have a career lined up at Craftsbury. Tell us a little bit about that and how you evolved to where you are today at Craftsbury.
1: Craftsbury is my home ski club. I've been skiing here since I was quite small. (laughs) But it's a cool sports center because it has all this other stuff going on. It has rowing programs in the summer. It has running programs. It has mountain biking, skiing, biathlon, all that stuff. But there was a job opening, the running director, my last year of competing, that opened up. And that's basically organizing all the running camps that come through here in the summer. There's some for high schoolers, there's some for adults, plus some other race directing sort of stuff. But I was really excited about the idea of being able to stay in my home community here. I love this place. I love having trails nearby. I have a house here. A lot of my friends are nearby. There's a lifestyle that this community embraces that I really like. So yeah, I jumped at the opportunity to try that and spend a couple years doing that. It was fun. It was hard. I think hosting camps in a way is almost more of a hospitality job than a sports job in some some regards. Um and that was fun and that was cool, but it's also it's just you have to be on a lot of hours of the day and I learned I learned a ton from doing that and I think it's going to serve me well going forward but I'm also excited to get back to biathlon after a bit of a break.
0: Going back in your own career, how much had you done in running yourself be that for training or just pursuing running as a passion when you were younger?
1: I was a D1 runner in college. I ran at Dartmouth. I was a dual sport athlete, a skier and a runner. High school I absolutely loved it. It was more of my sport than skiing was back then. But then as, you know, as an adult once I became a professional skier, I did a lot of running. I almost did more running then than I did as a college athlete because we were just doing so much volume of physical training. So I'd go out for like two hour runs in the afternoon just as a recovery after a morning roller ski. So I wasn't necessarily doing all the intensity running at that point, but I did a lot of volume and spent a lot of time in the mountains on the trails, which was fun.
0: As you went along in that role over the last couple of years, did you have a little bit of a hankering to get back to snow and get back to biathlon?
1: Uh, Yeah. I You know, I'm In an environment where I see a lot of skiers, I eat lunch every day with colleagues and former teammates in the Craftsbury Dining Hall, and I was never fully removed from it, I guess, these past couple years. I've always been in touch with it, but I I had to focus on my own job description, my own job title, I guess, so I couldn't you know, embrace myself in it the same way, but I,
0: I did miss it. And then how did you end up into this new role?
1: Well, we've never really had a director of biathlon at the Outdoor Center before, but we have a lot of interest in the sport and it's it's growing. We have a lot of families that are starting to send their kids to our Bill Koch League biathlon practices. We're having more demand for race events. Anytime we put on an event, it's extremely well attended. And so there's just this, this this really obvious need for more programming. And I was excited about that idea. And so I chatted with Judy Gear, who's one of the owners here, about maybe shifting my role a little bit and seeing if I could help out in that regard. Ethan Drasigacker's done a ton of great work um, with our junior program uh, the last few years, getting those programs up and going. And there's just a lot more we can do. So I'm excited to to jump in with him and, and Rick and Mike Gibson, too, and grow things.
0: You have a number of sport programs at Craftsbury, and I know it's kind of a holistic environment with everyone working together so how, how as a, the leader of the biathlon program, do you integrate or engage with the leaders of other sport programs at Craftsbury?
1: Well, skiing is a big, big collaborator with us because you can't be in our biathlon programs here unless you're in our ski programs. That is foundational part of this. Skiing is a big part of biathlon, and so our kids' programs all you all you sign up for skiing and then biathlon is an add-on that you can choose to do. I'm working very closely with Anna Schultz, who's coordinating all our kids programs. And even on the GRP level, which is the elite level, we have several athletes, people like Margie Freed, who are came in as skiers, but there's possibilities here to try out biathlon and they have and they've enjoyed it and they've been able to kind of expose themselves more and more to it and try a little bit of racing and Finding success with it, and it's, it's problematic when we force people to choose to go one route or the other. The bottom line is, you need to be an excellent skier to be a
0: strong biathlete. I want to touch uh, on Margie Freed for just a moment. We had her on the Heartbeat Podcast earlier this season, and what a really interesting story. Uh, and 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 really, that's I would imagine it. That's really a big credit to the diversity of the programs that you have there at Craftsbury.
1: Yeah, I mean, she is an incredible athlete, and. Um, it's been it's been fun to see her jump in and uh, get to try out some racing over in Europe, and she's also really crushing it on the domestic ski scene for, for cross-country, and she's excited about racing in Minneapolis soon. We have such good, talented skiers coming through, and just being in a place that has a nice biathlon facility and a nice
0: roller loop here, we can offer biathlon as an opportunity for folks who want to try it. Has Margie qualified for the Cross-Country World Cup in Minneapolis? I think so. That'll be an interesting one to watch. And I know we also had Grace Castengay on the podcast as well, and I both of them are kind of doing double duty. Actually, Grace probably doing triple duty with uh, collegiate skiing as well. It's just really fun to see that and fun to see athletes uh, moving back and forth. Kind of to talk a little bit about the transition you've made from being an athlete and having been an athlete for many years and having great success at the international level to make that transition over to coaching. Uh, and. Uh, We'll start at the club level, we'll talk about the elite level in a bit, but at the club level, how was that transition for you, going from athlete to coach?
1: You know, I think there's a big change that has to happen when you try to go from being an athlete to a coach, and I think to be a really good athlete, you have to be almost selfish in a way, you have to be very focused on your own needs, doing what you need to do to succeed, and as a coach, you have to be very selfless, and you have to be very focused on the needs of the people around you that you're trying to help and support. You know, there's a misconception out there that the best athletes make the best coaches. I don't think that's true. I think they can make good coaches, but it's completely different skill sets. And so I've been trying to keep that in mind going into it. I get a lot of great advice from Armin, my my former coach, and a few other coaches I've talked to, too, that it's a really good idea if you want to get into coaching to start working with kids and kind of work your way up to elite. Um, it's pretty tough to just jump into elite coaching. You learn a lot from progressing with a with a cohort of young ones, you know, figuring out what works, what doesn't work, how you connect with different personality types. And so the club system is a really, really good place for me to plug into right now and to learn. And yeah, that's, that's the, that's the foundation of my job right now
0: is working with our kids programs. What age of kids are you working with at Craftspray?
1: For biathlon, we start them nine years old and up. So we have a pretty good cohort right now of U13, U15 athletes. Um, We have a handful of like U17 athletes, but not a ton. Hopefully, in a few years, that'll continue to grow.
0: There's really a special gratification, though, isn't there, when you're working with a 9-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old, and really seeing that spark ignite and building that initial passion for the sport?
1: Yeah. You know, there's so many life lessons that you can learn from biathlon. And it's cool to use biathlon almost as a laboratory to learn about resilience, to learn about Uh, how to keep going after you failed at something. You know, you miss your targets and and you don't get frustrated. You don't just give up. You go back to the process of what you need to do to do well and you you keep going. You fight to the finish line even if you're having a bad race. There's like all these little life skills that are hidden in this sport.
0: We'll be right back on Heartbeat. In each episode, Heartbeat brings you insightful stories about one of the most exhilarating of all Olympic sports— U.S. Biathlon thanks each of its sponsors that help us bring you each and every episode of the Heartbeat Podcast. Maloya is the official apparel provider of U.S. Biathlon. Thanks to Maloya, our team is outfitted in high-quality, beautiful apparel and race gear. Not only does the U.S. Biathlon team stand out, but we race in comfortable, breathable suits that inspire confidence. Check it out at maloyaclothing.com. As an official sponsor of U.S. Biathlon, Aarons is committed to supporting the growth of the sport in the USA. The so-called King of Snow is a global leader in snow removal equipment that keeps facilities and courses clear for training and competition. The Aarons Nordic Center in Brilliant, Wisconsin is an official U.S. Biathlon National Training Center, further proving Aarons' commitment to growing biathlon in America. You can learn more at aaronsnordic.com. As the official education partner of U.S. Biathlon, Paul Smith's College takes pride in the programs that it has established to offer athletes a college education and sports-specific training, all nestled in New York's Adirondacks. Its reputation and standing as a college aligns with U.S. Biathlon's goals to support collegiate biathletes as they strive for both academic and athletic success. From an outstanding trail network to its eight-point biathlon range, Paul Smith's College is a great environment for athletes who want a small college located in a sports-centric region. To learn more, go to paulsmithsbobcats.com. Now let's get back to this episode of Heartbeat. So you had an opportunity to go over with the IBU Cup to Northern Italy earlier in January of this year. How did that experience come about?
1: I know that they are always looking for club coaches to go on those IBQ Cup trips to help out. Um, they usually have one staff member who's there throughout the winter, and then they have another set of staff who kind of revolve in and out from from the regional clubs. So I had reached out to Tim Burke to ask if if there might be some opportunities to do that this this winter. And so that was that was really cool opportunity for me. I think going over there, I hadn't quite realized ahead of time just how much logistical stuff goes into those weeks for the staff. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. And that trip really helped me appreciate just how much is going on behind the scenes sometimes.
0: I imagine that Tim said yes pretty quickly when you called him
1: <laughs> yeah I, I think I think he was happy to have have me there.
0: Did he provide any particular counsel to you before you went over? Uh, did you, you you know get a briefing to get an understanding of what you might be getting into?
1: uh I got that from Mike Gibson, who is the head Ibu cup point person basically for for the winter. He's the guy who's there every week after week after week. So we had a couple calls in the lead up to kind of go over what the daily work schedule
0: will look like and, you know, some of the, some of the details. I read your Instagram post and I recommend all of our listeners go to Susan's Instagram and read the post that she made from Italy and kind of walk us through that and, and what your realization was uh, after you had that experience.
1: It's amazing how many pieces have to go in together to, to make a good experience and a good race for an athlete. And so many of those pieces are not directly within the athlete's control. They're actually all these support staff who are helping out, making sure the skis are ready, making sure there's a good work plan for the staff so that the wax gets picked right, making sure you get to the venue on time. And it's just an incredible amount of work. And I saw that for many, 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 many years. But I think to actually live on that other side of it for a couple of weeks to be waking up at five, to get out there at five 30 to test skis. Um, and then missing meals sometimes because literally you're testing skis, testing skis, testing skis, and it's suddenly race time. And then you have such a short turnaround between the two races, the men's and women's races that you have to be testing skis again. And suddenly it's like late afternoon and, and you've, you've missed lunch. It's like, yeah, those are, those are challenging work conditions. And it just, it made me realize some of the times when I'd get frustrated with a coach or a wax tech all those years, it's like uh, just giving them a little bit more grace. Like I, looking back, like I reached out to Fede, my wax tech, and I was like, <laughs> thank you.
0: <laughs> did you really reach out to Fede after that?
1: We were, we were chatting a little bit on, on Instagram, but yeah.
0: <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> that, yeah. is, that is really cool. I assure you that he understood that. So uh, d- did you actually get into the wax room and prepare skis?
1: I wasn't doing the actual race wax stuff, but sometimes I'd be helping clean the skis after a race. Uh, that sort of stuff.
0: How much? Uh, I'm sure you have that skill set, but how much do you use that uh, ski preparation skill set?
1: It's funny because when I was in college, I used to do a lot of race waxing for myself, um, and then I spent all those years in the World Cup and lost track of like you know what even the top waxes of the day were. But this is such an interesting time to get back into waxing because it's, there's been such a huge shift. With a no-fluoro thing, everybody in the industry has been scrambling the last year or two to figure out, you know, what methods of waxing we use now that, you know, the, the fluoros are not in the picture. And there's still a lot of experimentation going on. And it's a lot of art. There's a lot of just figuring out what what combinations of things, what type of application works best, what type of structure works best, and kind of neat to, to watch that and see that process.
0: With the athletes that were over there from U.S. Biathlon on the IBU Cup, were you familiar with most of them or were there some new faces that you were meeting?
1: There were some new faces. I think I knew maybe about half of them beforehand.
0: And I would imagine that everyone knew you. or Did they?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I hadn't met everybody in person before, but I think most of them knew at least who I was from, from U.S. Biathlon.
0: Did you have any interesting conversations with them? Did they inquire <laughs> about your experiences uh, coming up through the ranks?
1: Yeah, we had some great conversations, sometimes after dinner. One of the things that really shocked me with the whole work plan and stuff and just trying to get skis done and trying to get the rides and the logistics taken care of is there's not as much time for coaching in those individual one-on-one conversations that you think there would be. Um, and so we really had to carve out time for that. At one point during, while I was over there, I just I sent out a text to the group chat and said, Hey, if anybody wants, wants to come chat about anything race related or otherwise, I'm just going to have open office hours for the next hour. Or so <laughs> stop by because, you know, it's, it, it can be hard when you just get stuck in the routines of the day-to-day stuff to, to make time for those important check-ins. And that's so much of what coaching is about. is just listening to people and, and hearing where they're coming from and what their needs are and, you know, day-to-day what they want to be thinking about.
0: Did some of them take advantage of that
1: opportunity? Yeah, we had some good conversations.
0: So you had mentioned earlier in regard to your work at Craftsbury that sometimes the role of the coach is actually that of a hospitality manager. And I know that (laughs) if it's it's you and Mike on the road on this tour, and I know you weren't going a lot of places, but you were going to a few, I imagine that a big part of that role is travel management.
1: Yeah, we had some unforeseen circumstances come up halfway through the first week and had to switch hotels midweek. And so we're looking up on Google Maps and Airbnb and just trying to find which hotels are within a 45 minute to an hour commute of where we're staying. And um, then there's details like there was a big snowstorm in Martel while we were there. And we, you know, do we have chains for the vehicles? If we don't have chains, can we catch a ride with a team that does have chains to be able to get up the road? And you know, <laughs> there's just a lot of stuff like that happening, too.
0: For those who may not know those venues, you were in Martel and I think Reed Uh Can you give folks a, a little bit of an idea of where they are in Italy?
1: Yeah, so they're in the northern part of Italy, up in the mountains. Both of them are up some pretty, especially Martel, is a pretty narrow valley that goes way up, way up high. At the bottom of the valley, you have all these apple trees. It's, it's apple country, it's really cool. And then you get up into this narrow valley, and then the road just starts doing these crazy switchbacks, and the roads get really steep. You keep going, and you keep going, and you keep going, and then you pop out in this more open section of the valley, a little higher up where they have some trails, but it's gorgeous. There's mountains on
0: all sides. There's good, steep snow, sunshine. It's just it's an incredible place. And you're kind of in what I'll call the ant region, or the kind of, the, what would that be, the northwestern part of the Dolomites?
1: Yeah, so ridnowns maybe an hour and a half from ant a little bit west of ant just right on the austrian border martel is a little further south and a little further west but yeah it's it's kind of like central italy mountains central northern italy
0: in your career i know you've traveled a lot of different places but at least from my perspective that's about as beautiful as it gets there isn't it oh yeah northern italy was was always one of our favorite stops no i i i love it there Let's talk about the work that you're doing with John Farrow right now with Project X. I know you've got a camp coming up at Craftsbury, but kind of explore a little bit what your role is there and how you can help the future of biathletes around America.
1: Yeah. So we actually, the the project I was working on with John actually just wrapped up. Um, We had a couple athletes who were racing the super tours here in the East. So ski athletes pretty fast. There was a super tour in Lake Placid and a super tour in Craftsbury. And they stayed here after the Craftsbury super tour for a couple extra days. And we fit in several shooting sessions. And the whole idea of Project X is to give talented skiers an opportunity with no strings attached to just try the sport and see if they like it or not. There's no reason why we shouldn't all get a chance to try biathlon. It's such a sweet sport, you know? (laughs) Exactly. I had a lot of fun fun with them. Um, And a few of the GRP skiers... Margie happened to be around, Tim Cunningham was around, and they jumped in with us for a session too, just to, cause why, why not? You gotta, you don't want to miss out on all the fun. So we did some fun relays together and with these, with these couple skiers, I, I just, we worked on some of the basics of shooting so that if they do decide to try it again, or they want to jump in a race sometime, they at least know how to, proper range procedure, how, how to use a rifle safely in the range. They know what natural point of aim is. They know how to squeeze the trigger really gently. They know how to follow through all those super, super basic pieces. They just got their first taste of that.
0: Well, Susan, before we wrap things up with our on-target section, uh, just my quick observation. You seem pretty happy in your role and pretty engaged in giving back to the sport in America. Uh, are you content there? Is this something you want to continue doing for a few more years?
1: Yeah, no, I'm really happy. I think I've been very motivated and energized since switching to this new role this past fall. Um, and there's so much more, I know, at Craftsbury that we want to try to play with next year and see if we can get some some more programming off the ground. and. The sport, I mean, there's so much potential to grow the sport, and I just, I honestly think that we are personnel limited pretty much in every club in the country, and just being able to help with that that problem and, and see if we can get some more stuff going is is pretty exciting.
0: Well, we appreciate you digging in and helping out. Uh, Susan, we're going to do our little on-target quick Q&A section, and uh, the first thing I want to learn is, you know, what's one thing that you really miss not being on the World Cup tour? I miss relay days.
1: Those were the best. Like when you, you and your team were all out there together. And I, I used to love starting the relays and being in that big pack of of skiers all together, and shooting head to head. It's just, yeah, something special. So we'd often get like a little American flag
0: tattoos and put them on our face, and it was fun. That's sweet. As you think back on your career, is there any particular relay that really sticks in your mind?
1: Uh, probably World Champs 2019. We were in Östersund, Sweden, and the women's team. Had an, a most unexpected day where we found ourselves in podium position on the last leg. We were tremendous underdogs, and uh, we just had a lot of athletes performing really well. And I mean, we didn't end up holding on to that position, but we still had a darn good race. And it's, it's one of those days I'm just really proud of how every individual did on the team. And
0: yeah, it was, that was really cool. What a great memory. Now, how about one thing that you do not miss being on the World Cup Tour?
1: Uh, I don't miss living out of a duffel bag for months on end.
0: <laughs> it's a skill.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is a skill. I used to. I had this packing list that went down to the number of pairs of like underwear and socks uh, that I would use every fall, so I knew exactly what to
0: bring. Yeah, wool, wool is a nice thing, there, isn't it? I almost all my clothes were wool. Yeah, beautiful. Um, what's one thing that you've done for fun since retirement that you could not do when you were on the tour?
1: One of the things that I've really gotten into has surprised me a little bit, honestly, has been CrossFit. I hated strength training when I was an athlete. Absolutely hated going to the gym. Did it because I knew knew I had to and it was good for me and it, it helped me with my skiing, obviously, so I did it, but never enjoyed it. And then since I've been retired, I found that having a set time with a whole group of people who I know will be there and going to the gym and, and doing a workout has been just really cool. And, and the the guy who leads it here, Just makes everything into games, and it gives me that little competitive outlet that I don't have in my life day-to-day anymore, and it's, yeah, it's fun.
0: Make sure you send a selfie to your old strength coaches. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, she's actually in the gym. How about uh, the best night out near Craftsbury?
1: This place, this region is known for really, really good local food, and so there's some really nice restaurants, I'd say, down in the Hardwick area that have most, almost entirely local food from some of the farms nearby. I think that's one of my favorite things to do is go go get a
0: good meal. And last question, uh, what's something that you took away from learning curling?
1: <laughs> yeah, last winter I went to a uh, curds and curling event, which was actually, a, there's a cheese place um, a few towns over that took their test wheels of cheese, like those big heavy wheels, and made them into curling stones. And so the only curling I've done has been with, with big blocks of cheese. But yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just fun. It's those, those community events are are such a blast, and um, it's actually coming up again this Saturday. So I think I'm going to go again this year. You got
0: to do it. You got to do it. Yeah. Susan Dunkley, thank you so much for sharing some time with us. We we're excited to see what you're pursuing and happy that you're still giving back to the sport that you so love here in America. Thanks, Tom. What really struck me in this interview was how happy Susan seemed to be, and with a great sense of someone who is in the right place for themselves and knows it. Susan Dunkley continues to be a difference maker for Biathlon. We've had some great interviews on Heartbeat this season, including Grace Castengay, Margie Freed, Campbell Wright, Maddie Fanoff, Lowell Bailey, new U.S. Biathlon leader Jack Gearhart, and a fascinating look into the fluorocarbon ban from Fetty Fontana. Head to your favorite podcast platform now to catch the past episodes of Heartbeat. Heartbeat is brought to you by U.S. Biathlon and its dedicated team of sponsors. A special thanks to Aarons, the King of Snow, Maloya, outfitting the U.S. Biathlon team, and Paul Smith's College, offering education and sport training in the heart of New York's Olympic region. And a shout out to all of U.S. Biathlon's sponsors, including Maloya, Aarons, Paul Smith's College, auto aider Lapua ammunition rain pure mountain spring water and polar beverages that's it for this episode of heartbeat if you can give us a review or hit the favorite button so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes as we continue to tell the stories of the people behind biathlon i'm tom kelly your host for heartbeat the u.s biathlon podcast we'll see you again soon